And you make it affordable and easy to access, which I think that our lineage does a really great job of that. Like our Lamy doesn't want to charge for a lot of classes. Um, retreats are really affordable compared to other retreats. So it's, it's approachable for people. And some, you know, other lineages have different views on it. And you know, they do whatever works for them, but some retreats are really expensive, and it's just, we, I could not afford to go, you know what I mean? They're just very pricey. So the point is, if, even if people need a place to stay to get to class, you give it to them. If they need money to get to class, you give it to them. And it's an honor to support them. In the monastery, there's no such thing as charging for the Dharma, and many of the high lamas are supporting lots of students at great personal sacrifice. They feed them, they take care of all their needs. Some of the lamas even have like multiple students living with them, staying in their small room that they have. So how do we attract people to the Dharma? Number one, we use material things. And for me, whenever Lama Ami has given me material gifts, that's like, I don't know if that's my love language or, you know, whatever. But I just love getting gifts. I really do. <laughs> Almost like it doesn't even matter what it is. And my mom's like this, too. And I always used to judge her and uh, thinking it was just, like, greedy or something. But now I know because I'm totally the same. So whenever she's giving me gifts, it's really, it helps me with, like, my practice and with my relationship with her, too. So you use material things. Number one, under material things, or A, say Segu Jin Mijin. Segu Jin Mijin. Segu Jin Mijin. Segu Jin Mijin. So you share your resources, food or clothes, appropriately. So if it will help to attract someone, giving things away, but not breaking any of your vows, obviously. Like if you were ordained, you wouldn't. Give someone your robes because you're not allowed to do that. And it also, it'd be inappropriate to try to attract a student if it means that you're going to regret it later. So you do it within your own capacity. And it's also, in another sense, it's really common to see especially new students really excited. And um, they'll even offer the llama their house or something like mm -hmm. that. And so you have to be really careful because the regret is way worse than not giving in the first place. And eventually we should be able to give anything. Like we should be able to give our eyeballs, our body, our arm, whatever. But most likely we're not there yet. So we first give what we can. Did you just say that the, if we give something and then regret giving it, that's worse than giving something less or not giving it? <laughs> and I mean, we don't really know our capacity. I think, I mean, you can purify everything too, but you don't really know your capacity until you try. So like you know now that you wouldn't keep giving beyond your means and regretting it, you know? So now you know where that, you know where that point is a little better. Like just stretch slowly. Don't, <clears throat> don't go from zero to plugs 
And also, if you're going to make an offering, but then, like, whine about it to yourself or others, it's better not to do it. So keeping that in mind. And then the second kind, say, lulaminu. 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 Don't hurt your body. So the second one is take care of your health, your basic comforts your family's basic needs. Don't prematurely hurt yourself for minor goals before you're able to do so. So you have to take good care of your body and your acts of giving should be responsible. So like we were talking about, you don't offer up your family's house or give something that's gonna hurt you, especially physically. And it's a really, it's a bad habit to be irresponsible. When Geshela first started stuttering, he wanted to quit everything and live in India. And His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, told him to go back to school, and he was totally right. And if we're irresponsible now, we'll end up quitting the practice later. You know, we'll regret all those things that we did, and it'll just lead to deterioration of our practice. And it's not to say that we shouldn't be wildly generous we should, but not at the expense of our health or our safety. So we want to practice nicely. We need, you know, we need a place to stay, good food. Um, we need to take care of those things first. Third, how to attract people to the Dharma um, through material things. Say, Lu Jin Dugu. Lu Jin Dugu. Lu Jin Dugu. Lu Jin Dugu. So when the time comes and you're ready, you give up your body and your life. Ready means that you would have no regrets in the intermediate state after death. So you would know that for sure. So maybe might be a while off. Maybe not. And now how to attract students to the Dharma by teaching Dharma. So we just talked about how to attract them by giving them things. So attracting them by giving the Dharma, the first way, say, Nyanpoi Kunchu. Nyanpoi Kunchu. Nyanpoi Kunchu. That one's hard. Um, if the student doesn't behave well, respect for the teacher and the Dharma, then don't teach them. At this point, Master Shantideva goes into the proper way to listen to the Dharma and how to behave as a student. And if the student doesn't follow these codes of behavior, you shouldn't teach them. <laughs> More importantly, respect for the teacher and the Dharma. If you know that a student doesn't respect you or the Dharma, then it's improper to teach them. It's, it's, I think it's not going to do anything good for them. So they should conform to certain kinds of behavior in class, sit attentively, not do things that are impolite in that culture. In Asia, wearing a hat is improper, carrying a sword or a weapon of some kind. And then we have our, you know, our norms here, what's proper and what's not. 
So we transfer it into our culture. In Tibetan culture, you're not supposed to point your feet at the Dharma teacher mm -hmm. or laze around or lie down. And these are good to know when we have Tibetan teachers not to do that because it's offensive to them. And you know, sometimes people just don't know and I'm sure the teachers realize that too. And it's really out of respect for the Dharma. It's not that the teacher cares, especially if they're highly realized, because they don't need anything from us and um, it's not, we can't hurt them anyways. From our side, it's the best for us to sit properly, listen properly, and to study in the way that the teacher asks. So that's what's going to be most helpful for us. Okay, the second kind of attracting people to the Dharma through giving Dharma, say new key sampa. New key sampa. New key sampa. New key sampa. Okay, so this is the level the student is on. The student or vessel into which the Dharma is being poured. The teacher judges their level and teaches at their level, not above or below it. And when you're talking to people about dharma, you're, you know you're the teacher there. It's inappropriate in a really general class to bring up really technical points that students aren't going to understand. But usually, I mean, I've seen this happen many times because these courses are really technical. People just leave and they don't come back. The opposite is you know the student has a good mind and needs more challenge, and then it's a good idea to teach them on that level. And how Master Dharma Bhadra taught, he would give the normal visualization, and then he would say, for those of you who would be bored with this, here's a more complex visualization. And from my understanding, I don't think that necessarily means that one student is any further ahead than the other. They're just different minds. And usually that, I think that's where our mind goes, which can then lead to pride if we're one that needs the more complex visualization. You know, sometimes we might be a lot, a lot more advanced, but I don't know that it's because of that, you know? And it, this is interesting. Geshe Michael's seen people come and ask Ken Rinpoche to teach and they ask in a little bit of a disrespectful way, and Ken Rinpoche will say, oh, I don't really know much about that, even though he's been studying that subject for 20 years. And he knows, like, every subject, or he yeah. knows every subject in Buddhism. So you can, you can kind of tell, I think especially, well, with all lamas, but especially with Tibetan lamas, you can tell if they're, um, like, you know they know that subject. So you can kind of tell, oh, maybe something else going on here. So just being careful. The third one, say, Gyachen Mula Men Mijar. Gyachen Mula Men Mijar. Gyachen Mula Men Mijar. Gyachen Mula Men Mijar. So if you find a student with great potential, don't teach them the lower paths. Teach them the highest possible level that they can grasp and understand. Don't give them less than they, dig than they can digest and leave them half full. 
And then don't overfeed someone with a smaller scope, which is just going to freak them out. Gyachen is a code word for Mahayana. Okay. Okay. And then this is how to keep others faith. Say Sem Jesu Zimpa. Sem Jesu Zimpa. Sem Jesu Zimpa. Sem Jesu Zimpa. Keeping others faith. Basically behaving in a way that sets a good example for others and inspires their faith and admiration in the Dharma. You have to be exemplary and be someone who people look at and think that Buddhism might be is a really great thing based on this person's example. Not being stingy or angry where people would think if this is what Buddhism is, I'm not interested. So you're representing bodhisattvahood really well. And then the last thing Master Shanti Deva gets into are three activities that would help other people keep their faith in Buddhism. So these are three kinds of behavior that will attract people. First one, say ma depa pang. Ma depa pang. Ma depa pang. Ma depa pang. <coughs> so for those of you who have studied the Bodhisattva vows, they talk about a bodhisattva stretching activities a little if it was important, and then there are pratimoksha rules that are meant to limit your activity, and then other kinds of rules that were meant to keep people from losing faith in the dharma. So these are all different kinds of vows and rules that, that we're talking about. For example, monks are not allowed to keep cloth longer than 10 days if they're not going to make it into ropes. But if you're a bodhisattva monk or nun, and sometimes, and someone offers you a warehouse full of cloth, and they say, like, you can't use it for 60 days, you're required to take it so that you can use it to help other beings. And this, I think this type of thing talks about judging other people's practice, too. You don't know what vows someone else has. Especially they might have secret vows that, that we don't even know yet. And so judging their actions is kind of hard to do. Um, I mean, not that we should let someone harm us or something like that, but just to be careful. And really, the pure Hinayana vows, they're meant to keep your life really simple. But then the Bodhisattva monk has to own many things so that he can help or she can use them for other people. So it's a lot different way of living, really. And then there's other rules for lay people, which are meant to protect other people's hearts and faith in the Dharma. And these are the examples that Master Shanti Deva gives. Um, don't blow your nose on the street 
or spit on the street or look disheveled? <laughs> as, a, as a monk? I think he might be talking to monks, but I think we could, I think we could say in general. I've, I've heard uh, it taught that you don't spit where other people are going to walk and you don't put your feet where other people are going to sit. Which can be tricky because a lot of times we put our feet up on chairs, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, basically, this means that our activities as a bodhisattva should prevent other people from losing faith in Buddhism. So we shouldn't be acting in a way where people are skeptical or um, start to lose faith in in the teachings. Second, say Lam Tun Pa. Lam Tun Pa. Lam Tun Pa. Lam Tun Pa. Have good manners when you interact with others. So basically, having a generally pleasing manner, be polite and sensitive to others' needs. Easier said than done a lot of times, really. Be considerate and thoughtful. A bodhisattva should have good manners for their culture. Having a generally pleasing manner and sensitive to others' impressions and needs. And maybe it doesn't seem that important or it doesn't matter that much. But Master Shanti Deva says that this is a reflection of your whole bodhisattva practice. If you're that you would behaving be behaving this way. Okay. Third say Nyalwe Kunchu. Nyalwei Kunchu. Nyalwe Kunchu. I don't know if if, ever, if you guys all know this one, but going to sleep properly or in a nice way. Here, Master Shantideva gets into a good way to go to sleep. And he says that it's good to emulate the Buddha as he laid down for the final time on this planet. So he laid on his right side with his right hand under his head. I put both hands under, I don't know why. Um, and his left leg on top of his right. So you're just laying on your side. You lie on your right as you fall asleep. <laughs> and Geshela said that he, for his experience, he tried it for years and it was really hard. Um, and it also does have a good effect on you if you can do it. I, I go to sleep this way every night and it did, it took me a long time to get used to it. Um, and you'll, you'll end up like flopping over in the middle of the night and that sort of thing. But if you have a lot of trouble sleeping because of it, then just do it for a while and then move on to something else. But over the years, I've trained myself for, I think it's really good because somehow, um, like you fall asleep easily once you get into that habit of sleeping like that. I, I haven't tried it with another position. I don't know if it's something like magical with that position because of the meaning behind it. Or if it's just like um, habit, but I tend to think it's because of the position. So if you have like a sleeping ritual that you do every night, then like your body's primed to go to sleep, like it knows what's happening. 
just like a, you know, like pulling down the covers, setting up your room for bedtime, putting on your pajamas, you know, all that stuff. And the idea behind this one in Asia, if someone saw you asleep in that position, it would be very pleasing to them. And then you think of some virtuous object as you fall asleep. And it's really typical that you would put your head and you would visualize that your head's in your llama's lap. And then you go off to sleep with some sort of devotion for them. <laughs> you think of their good qualities. <laughs> and you think of them as totally pure, physically, spiritually. That's, that's typical direction. And then you're thinking, I'm going to sleep in order to wake up rested so that I can do great virtue. It does wonders. You have to just control your mind and discipline it. Do not think about bad things before you go to sleep. You will not get a good night's sleep. <clears throat> so we usually visualize them as around 16 or 18 years old, the llama. And they usually say in beautiful clothes and jewels and beautiful hair. Um, and don't be shy about it. You can completely embellish. You make them absolutely perfect. Any negativity or flaws that you see in them are your, is your own projection anyways, you know? Um, and people may think that it's naive when they see someone offering or being really devotional. And I kind of think sometimes that maybe it just makes us uncomfortable. But the truth is that if we know the teachings, we should be bowing down and making offerings and visualizing them as a deity. Because it's the best possible thing that we can do for ourselves and for everybody else. And the other way, this is Geshe talking, the other way he says is just stupid, to try not to look too devotional, to try to look really reasonable, um, because you can just die like that, trying to look reasonable, you know? And, you, and we will. So it's like Jesus Christ, if that brings like some gravity or you know, like some wow factor, walking into the room or, or the Buddha, you would just throw yourself down and throw flowers at them, and if you hold back and think it's silly or naive, then you're, you know, you're missing an opportunity. And it's not. They really are the representative of the Buddhas across the universe. And if you don't relate to them that way, you'll never get the benefit of doing so. <coughs> so... We actually ended early, but isn't that weird? <laughs> um, so we'll take a few moments to just appreciate all the good that we've done and taste the sweetness of it. And the, the whole point is not to be shy or inhibited to be a bodhisattva, to stop and do something unusual and help people have devotion, see your lamas as fully enlightened Buddhas, 
and that you're not a normal person anymore. Despite how much you'd like to be your unusual special. And just thinking about how amazing to be in the center, to have these teachings that are so detailed and complete, to have a center to study in, to have Dharma brothers and sisters, to even be interested to come here for 10 weeks, to think about helping other beings, and just keep thinking about whatever helps you get that feeling. Wow, this is so amazing. And as you're thinking, there's this golden ball of light at your heart. slowly spreading through your body, dissolving all negativities, all obscurations. <clears throat> it fills your entire body and then these rays of golden light radiate out from all your pores touching the hearts of all beings and lifting all their suffering. So in this way, we're offering our practice. <coughs> and once you've expanded that light as far as you can, not overdoing it, Feel this golden nectar light slowly, slowly coming back into your heart. And then with as much devotion as you can muster for your teachers, whoever you see as your main lama, You're offering all of this to them with an understanding of emptiness that I may reach full awakening in this lifetime to help others. And we're offering as Lauren leads us in the prayers. Sashi Kuki Shelejumwe, Tampa Kunit 
Shantaparsham.